Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy. Hey, hey, hey. Duncan. Hey there. And Jeff. Yellow. I'm extra unprepared because I had a board gaming convention this weekend, but everyone else is ready for our awesome topic about anime that aren't about fucking, where people still definitely fuck. Mm. Uh, and then after the break, we'll be talking about Ray Earth, School Days, and One Piece. So it's a pretty broad spread. <laughs> but first, Duncan, please explain this topic to me so I could understand what I should say for the rest of this podcast. I mean, I think the thing is, the fucking may grab the attention, but it's the question of how definite something is, which is actually going to probably be the center of discussion here, because boy, oh boy, does definite come with caveats as far as this conversation goes, because <laughs> how can we say for certain whether or not any fictional couple are doing their dirty? Because if, as many screenwriters say, action is character, we run into a problem with sex, because if we're not going to have a, a 18 rating slapped on everything, we're not showing people going at it. So what can a storyteller do to sort of reveal something which they're not showing directly? I think it's a real challenge which most things fail miserably at. And so I'm I'm hoping for some outliers where we actually <laughs> see some unexpectedly deft touches or maybe just flawed but interesting attempts. Um, I guess the elephant in the room is, is that on the surface, a lot of the shows are for teenagers, starring teenagers. And the one thing I'll, I'll say is that the show which started me thinking about this is on its surface both of those things and yet still manages to have uh, multiple convincing relationships and that's uh, Evangelion and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that uh, a little bit in a moment but I'd, I'd like to know what people's sort of genuine feelings about how anime handles this whole thing in the, as a, a, a medium before we go into specifics yeah. I feel that you know, slightly uh touched hit the nail on the head as to why sex is never really addressed in anime and that's because the characters in the anime are all minors now it is worth mentioning that the <laughs> age of consent is 13 years old in japan which is fucked up yeah uh, with it sure is. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. it's it's a weird situation where it's where it's nationally 13 yeah. but other but but yeah different municipalities and and areas are allowed to set it higher so it's functionally 16 to 18 well, but it's weird that that's the law on the books. It, yeah, so for different prefectures... It's a, it's a situation built for loopholes, so yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, for prefectures, it is 18 to 20. Mm -hmm. But then there's also age differences between 13 to 14, where if there is parental permission, then they Jesus. can have sex, which is a weird thing to go up to your parents to be like, mummy and daddy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, I mean, how much of this is just like left over from like a hundred years ago? And like, uh, yeah, like, that's, that's probably true, Jeff. Like I cannot yeah. like even begin to try to like say, oh, actually, culturally, this is what this is happening. Because I have no fucking idea. <laughs> I, my 99.9% .9 of my exposure to Japanese culture is anime, which has been <laughs> subtitled by people who aren't Japanese. Yeah, <laughs> so I mean... I can and, who really also, and who also might have aggressive ideas about, about the age of consent, too, unfortunately. You know, yeah, the because, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, anime represents a very, very niche, like, little sliver of Japanese culture. And then the stuff that makes it over mm -hmm. here is usually filtered through, again, a very niche part of our culture. And so 
anything that happens in a cartoon from Japan, I don't think we can very responsibly <laughs> reject back <laughs> onto the country at large. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we should like even like even bringing up age of consent laws. I mean, fucking in Canada, you, I'm sure you could find age of consent laws that are like 12 years old, and that is not reflective yeah. of the culture at large. So I, so I, so it's interesting, Duncan. Because I think that bringing up Evangelion especially was one of the ones I think, because when I hear this, this topic and I try to filter it into something that I can comment on usefully, I think about anime that are outrageously horny, but aren't romance anime. And I don't know if that is a flattening or a, or a lessening of <laughs> the scope that you had in mind. But uh, in so far as I interpret it, Evangelion is a great example. It's a wildly horny show. It's a show that's very um, allegorically or metaphorically sexual and also very literally sexual, but it's about like self-regard and self-love and the process of growing up. Mm. And I've often said before, there's a really great line in uh, Susan Napier's book about anime. It, it's had a bunch of different titles as she's tried to update it to keep up to keep up mm-hmm. uh, with the modern stuff. But she talks about giant robot anime as being putting on as putting on this masculine armor that makes you like act like an adult, even though you're a little kid inside, which I think everyone here can agree is a very apt <laughs> metaphor yeah. for, for and, and is the not process even, of growing up. And is also <laughs> not even a metaphor in a lot of actual giant robot anime. Yeah. Right, right. So I was going to bring up Frank's where they pantomime having sex with the girl in inside the robot too. And is Frank's about sex? I mean, Frank's is about having kids. Is about yeah. having is about having sex though, <laughs> is the thing. That you have these, that you can't, you have these like, kind of like standing in place metaphors that every anime either negotiates a path mm-hmm. through or negotiates a path around to subvert. And giant robot is especially the one, but we will have plenty of monogatari and monogatari adjacent stuff to talk about where people are just wildly horny and sex is just a fact of the world but it's not a focus of the anime because that would be an adult anime and Mm -hmm. that would be too much so we have to we have to relegate it to fan service which is in some contexts infantilizing in some contexts inessential and that's how we like build a world of sex in a world that is pointedly marketed to teens in eva it's interesting that there's they have a template for getting around this thing, which is we shift all that horrible, messy business to the support cast. Um, like Misato mm. and uh, Kaji in particular. How dare is... you? How dare you suggest Misato as a support character? Okay. But go on. <laughs> Sorry. But Misato is, it's a four character ensemble. Misato is the mom and the three <laughs> kids are the kids. For you, Ben, there is no support character in Evangelion. They're all <laughs> independent, beautiful no, flowers. Even... <laughs> Even the weird guy who's like the, long, the like guy with like shoulder length hair who like has to be brute force turned into Tang by just like a million different rays coming at him. I love that too. He's a nihilist. Apparently he believes in nothing, which is why they just have to like force him into becoming Tang. I love Evangelion. Uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> Do you know what this reminds me of real quick? This reminds me of like when you rewatch like the original Star Wars film and you realize that literally everything that's been taken that's been said in that movie has been spun out and got its own interpretation yeah. on a thousand different yeah. things. That's what this sounds like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like someone's gone, this thing's interesting. Let's just spin it out because money. There's just so much secondary material because of the video games and the like the the book publications and stuff that like you all of the bridge bunnies in Evangelion, they have like they have we know their whole backstory. We know where they went to college. We know everything. It's yeah. fine. It's yeah. Anyway, Duncan. I mean, the th- the thing is that Masato and uh, and and Kachi, like the thing about their relationship is we kind of get it revealed 
in reverse to how we normally see relationships. When we, when we first find out that they had a relationship, it's a relationship which had happened in the past. We don't get like the the sweetness and stuff. We get the the ashes of a relationship. We get the jealousy, the petty provocations between each other, and the recriminations. Getting back with your ex is not something which works out well. Like I think most people can agree upon yeah. that. And we get to see these two going through that in front of the the whole audience, and I think importantly in front of uh, Shinji and and Asuka like you've got a show which spends so much time like talking about how people can hurt each other when they become close and like Masato and uh, Kaji are like the poster childs for two people who let themselves become emotionally close and then we see them just hurting each other because they can almost at times. It's interesting because Misato says the reason that she broke up with Kaji is because she realized she was dating her father who she hates because of his selfless sacrifice that saved her life during the second impact. And then she gets back with him because like it kind of implicitly and this may not be a, a legit interpretation but it's kind of the feel I got from my most recent rewatch. She realizes that if you're dating your father at least you're dating someone you understand understand is kind of the idea of Misato like even though Kaji is is emotionally neglectful and plays with her feelings and does not speak her love language at least she knows that because she the first eight years of her life or whatever were spent with her father and now she's getting to re-litigate those things that's the very Freudian aspects of Evangelion but she makes a choice to like reconnect with Kaji because she's lonely and he seems to understand her and she understands him Mm. even if it's because he reminds her of someone she hates, and that's yeah, it's completely messed Another up. Another reason why I love Evangelion, <laughs> but it's 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 wholly yes. believable. Like it's bad choices being made for understandable reasons, and I th- I think that's missing from a a lot of the depictions of, of sex we get. That uh, that we get the the lead up, but we don't get the aftermath. Yeah, I uh, been watching um, Panty and Stocking uh, lately, <laughs> and. <laughs> Actually, rewatching it now, Panty is surprisingly a more of a progressive character than <laughs> I initially thought when I first watched it. I didn't like it. Her attitude towards sex is that it's just like a fun thing that she just enjoys doing. So why can't she do it? And it's it is still played with tongue in cheek. Obviously, it's very much sort of I feel poking fun at American views of sex in a way i mean i thought uh i'm not gonna slut shame but she's very promiscuous and it's great it it worked for her character and that might just be me growing as well i Um, I think that's a good thing to to point out though andy because like one of the consequences of sex is is a social one like getting slut shamed is sadly still a real thing like i think when i looked at the who writes some of the better examples of, of these things it's almost always women, because they're the ones who have to deal with the fallout. The show I went back and looked at when I was thinking about this was um, Nana by Ai Yarazawa, which is from 2007, just fundamentally starts with two women in their 20s going already in relationships, going to Tokyo to move in with their respective boyfriends. And, like, that's the starting point. That's the end point for most most shows, like... Like, yeah, and mm-hmm. to the fact that it has addresses things like pregnancy, like um, emotional abuse within relationships, like those are things you just don't see. 
Yeah, I you were talking earlier about how like there is this wild flowering of Jose adaptations in like the early to mid 2000s. Mm. And I was just thinking about, man, I miss the bubble era when anything <laughs> could get an anime mm-hmm. like right before the licensing bubble popped. Um, and then and then the world economy popped after, shortly after. Like it was great that you could like, yeah, like two college age girls for some reason, anime seems to think of as like a really like dire demographic configuration, but like those are the good anime. <laughs> I think a lot of the time I have Nana downloaded uh, and I should watch it instead of what is next up in my queue, which is heavy object. Please judge me. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're judging. Mm-hmm. I don't think I know it to be fair. Well, speaking of giant robots, women, women, t- women piloting giant impenetrable breasts is, is kind of a, uh, a Freudian thing all its own, but mm. we've already talked about giant robots. No, like I generally any time, to- like I think that one of the nice things about anime where people are older um, are college or post-college is that you don't have the typical school day. You don't have the typical like rush to find someone to love before you graduate high school. There's much mm. more of a normal pace where you're living your life. You're doing the things you love and you've got an eye out for someone you can, you can be with. And the fact that it happens in the hyper reality of anime where every woman is kind of secretly a slut, just like in terms of how like panty flashes happen to anyone who is under the age of 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. it, 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 even though even though it's like less accurate, it still is like a more readable romantic landscape it, than just the absolute ridiculous I, dream world of like high school anime romance. I also just feel like. The hypersexualization of anime characters. Mm-hmm. This it, it then coincides with the the idol aspect of purity as well. Like there's, I believe, some sort of idea that if they have sex or even come close to not a virgin, that sort of sullies them as a character, which is a wild opinion that a, a large demographic of yeah. It's mad. Of uh, anime fans have, or used to have. I don't know whether it's that still remains. I'm not quite sure as maybe the more aggressive ones grow up and become bitter, bitter incels. Uh, well, you, you wouldn't hope that. <laughs> or maybe have a bit more of a social life. <laughs> this is unfortunately spoken from place of like third remove from, from the question we're talking about, as we've <laughs> caveated before, but... I feel like there's a lot of proto incel thinking in the idol culture of, yes, of, of like what what makes a good uh, like a good idol versus yeah. a bad idol and like yeah. what what their responsibility is to their fans. I'm mm-hmm. as promised listeners. I'm reading the Kageki Shoujo manga. It's great. It's better than the anime, but the anime is more accessible. So there's that, and also the, <laughs> there's more manga. But yeah, there's the whole <laughs> thing of like. They go into a bit, a bit more depth about when she was a part of JPX 48 um, and how they were supposed to be like available and willing to be objectified and willing to be even kind of like adjacent to molestation with like letting fans like hold their hands mm. and, and touch them and all that mm. stuff. It is really weird how like obviously, obviously idols are sexual objects, but there's like a weird kayfabe to use Jeff's favorite word about how they are not, they're not supposed to be sexual beings. They're supposed to be pure beings that we impart sexuality on through our fandom. And to watch like real characters negotiate that is. Yeah. And I feel that, I feel that the way that manga then, then translate that fan, that, you know, that idol attitude 
to their characters, which then gets yeah. interpreted as dojins and other fan works, uh, is like built on top of that. Yeah, and I think a, a and I think a big part of it also is you know an unfortunate uh, thing that in a lot of anime is the literal objectification of the characters themselves. They are not only you know characters in the show, but they're also things to be marketed. You know there is. Mm. You know, any yeah. number of little figurines and different costumes you get, you know, the standard, you know, episodes in a lot of shows, you know, you're always going to see a Yukata version. You're always going to see the, the bathing suit version. And that is to mm-hmm. spin off into and as much as a Gundam show will have, you know, a new robot every few episodes that co- corresponds with a, you know, a new toy to be sold. And if you start being too explicit about these people, you know, these characters being people, then that makes it less appealing to just sort of spin them off into these contextless other weird versions yeah. of them. I mean, there is a literal, like, very popular line of uh, figurines, which is just X girl in a bunny suit. And it doesn't even mm. have to be a girl that is mm. even remotely, like, sexualized or even starred in a bunny suit in the manga or whatever. It's just... It's in a bunny suit. I've tried so hard to get bunny suits, but I don't. I I, I got my head around maids. I still can't get bunny suits. <laughs> like when people are like, oh, she's wearing a real bunny suit with the with the fishnet stockings and the the bust, and I'm just like, okay. It it's, just makes me feel furry adjacent. I don't. And, and nothing wrong with furries. It's some of the nicest people I've ever met. But like, I'm not attracted to like putting rabbit ears on a girl. Like, if you take the rabbit ears off, I'm more attracted to the bunny girl than with the rabbit ears on. So. If you put cat ears on instead of bunny ears, I like that better, but that's because I have toxoplasmosis in my brain. So. <laughs> uh, Before we move, move off the idols completely, I think you made a really good point by bringing up the ha- handhold thing because anime has a, a real problem with physical intimacy. Despite depicting physical interactions is one of the things animation does best. It's so hand-holding in anime is just like, that's the final little thing. And yet these, in with idols, the, this like thing which the, the, the fans are told again and again in the media, like you only hold hands with the person most special to you. And here's, here's the idol being told, okay, you're holding hands with all these people because they're the people who are most special yeah. to you. Right, handshake events, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, and it's funny even when we talk about like handholding being chased because I remember when you and I, Duncan, watched the Psychono movie, mm-hmm. and like there's the one scene where it's just like beautifully animated people of like people touching and then meshing their fingers together mm-hmm. and like squeezing, and like like as much as we make fun of it because it is kind of a cop out in almost every single romance anime, handholding can be incredibly intimate mm-hmm. and and sensual, but the choice is not to depict it that way the choice is to depict it as just a simple movement that's like an on or off switch you either holding hands or not holding hands and i don't think it's any i don't think it's an accident that saikano has this again kind of sensual hand holding scene in a movie where they don't have the same rating concerns as they would with a tv show and in general like i think saikano saved its most mature moments for the movie Mm. um because of this concern of not letting some kids stay up till 12 at night and catch it on on tv yeah and then their mom writes a complaint like my mom did when i saw gremlins commercial when i was four and <laughs> <didn't sleep> <laughs> oh wow that's i'm still real, scared like... of Gre- i'm still scared of i'm still scared of gremlins no lie like that freaked me the <laughs> fuck out it was right in between like commercials for, for like ninja turtles oh, oh it was awful uh, <laughs> 
Anyway, speaking of <laughs> idols. I mean, I think just to, just to drag us back on topic, I think like we have to ignore we we haven't acknowledged to a degree that uh, part of this is that it's censorship. Like we our mm. works. I mean, that's what I tried to bring up with the old age of consent thing. Mm. <laughs> like with, yeah, yeah. Um, me and Andy have had a good long argument about um uh, a scene in Horimiya and. That scene in the webcomic is far more explicit, um, has after effects, i.e. some talk about contraception and pregnancy and and someone actually being sort of reprimanded for not using it. Like, if you actually put that on screen, like, that would generally be, like, almost almost groundbreaking by anime standards. But obviously they didn't, because Horimiya has become this absolute juggernaut. I I don't... Whatever your the argument was, your I'm set, I'm setting a watch right now. Like y'all have five minutes to hash <laughs> okay. this out. Okay. I'm not kidding. You I, can see my phone. I'm gonna set this. I, I, I listeners, we had a big <laughs> argument, and I don't really understand Duncan's point. <laughs> is that I thought that, um, or my feelings on the scene was that I thought that sex, I believe, is very commonly sort of portrayed as uh, a carnal thing of lust and i thought that the way that harimia portrayed it in a poetic beautiful way showed the more romantic and soft side of sex which i thought was really beautiful and then the way that like a lot of our problems that we have with anime romances is that they don't go all that way and it solidifies them as a relationship and i felt that you can see that you interpret it there's only one way you can interpret that scene and it did solidify them as a relationship, and I thought it worked really, really well. I'm a. I really I'm going to say that it's scene. it's manifestly it's manifestly not one way you can interpret that scene because Duncan has been very staunch that that he does not interpret the scene. <laughs> that because the light, partly because is... the biting was partially cut from the anime compared to the manga, and like that's sure. But I felt that I felt that it was it was all that was needed to for, to hammer home the point of what was what has happened. And that's all I they th- needed. I think the thing is, like, it's the way I started this 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 whole thing off is that to me, it's kind of like they can't show show what's going to happen. So, how do we know something has happened? And Homia does the build up well. It shows their relationship getting closer. It shows them being more comfortable with physical intimacy. But then we sort of fade to black. And afterwards, does their relationship change in any way? No. Does the, do I, well, uh, I think, they talk to each other differently? No, it's like. But they're already they're already at that point emotionally with the way that they talk to each other. Like like they already had that emotional connection. Then they had the physical. I don't know. Are you, do you disagree with me there, Duncan? Jeff, weigh in. Pick up a chair. Get into the ring. <laughs> All right. So I'm I'm going to say I'm going to like split the baby like Solomon here, and I will say that they 100% did fuck, and that is not up for debate. Mm-hmm. And also, the very second that that happened, the show changed focus to like seven other couples all doing the Horimiya thing in fast forward, mm. but with like slight variations of it. And the titular Hori and Mia stopped really being a factor and became more or less background characters. And if there is yeah. more, maybe we will get more of the stuff that Duncan is looking for. But I think at the very least, this first season of Hori and Mia was about reaching that point. And they seem to just like want to get everybody else to that point for more mm. later. And you could say that's a problem structurally. I don't think that's necessarily a bad 
criticism, but they did definitely like, absolutely fuck, and it's <laughs> silly for you to argue otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So they 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 call it, they call it the the Karikano, where like the main character he main characters hit a, like a nice relationship plateau, hmm. and then we switched to other people yeah, completely. Pretty much. I mean, it, it felt very much that they wanted to the the anime wanted to get to a specific point in the manga. I think I ba- I ba- I basically agree with jeff but that i i actually place far more weight to its failures like like if if you if you if you want to have the courage of your convictions you should like prioritize ease showing how that relationship develops rather than cutting to everyone else like the, f- the fact that it's oh maybe they just wanted to show every other person rather than any sort of like okay something has actually changed in there like you can't can't, like andy like are you honestly saying like that when you lost your virginity you like it was no big deal it was that you were like yeah pretty much (laughs) yeah no that's what we call it that's what we call it it's done i i i just gonna say sex doesn't have to always progress the story it can just be a very beautifully done like Scene which progresses the relationship, but they're they're fiction that they exist for the story. That's all. But this show, this show isn't trying to be like, look at us, fuck. It's, it's trying to be about, <laughs> about about their relationship, about people's relationships, and sort of that feeling of love. And do you know what kind of show is about? Let's watch us fuck. And that I is was, was fighting that, yeah. shonen shows. <laughs> yes. well, I was, I was going to, I was just going to bring up Scum's Wish, where oftentimes the the transition between one couple and another couple is the con- is a physical consummation of their like dysfunctional attraction. Mm. Uh, I should rewatch Scum's Wish. I could probably get my girlfriend to watch. <laughs> but yeah, it's not a good idea, Ben. <laughs> also, I mean, really, okay, okay, I'll put this out there. She really liked Flowers of Evil. She she's like, this is the best anime I've ever seen. I did not know anime could do this. Uh, so huh. like. And Scum's Wish is kind of like not as good Flowers of Evil, so yeah. uh, it's like anthology Flowers of Evil. So yeah, I think I could because that is also a, that's a show that's very much about sex and so not this topic. But like in that, like the consummation is the end of the story in all of these. These are people giving in to bad desires, mm. and it sounds like in Horimiya maybe like the sex is almost a reward for the relationship having progressed this natural, like healthy, or at least narratively satisfying point. I understand with you, Duncan, I want sex to move the plot forward generally. Otherwise, like why is that scene there? Um, you could have fit in more scenes with other characters, but I'm never going to watch Horimiya because of this stupid argument. So we, we always talk about how anime infantilizes relationships and how we always talk about how we wish they'll fuck. And then you see a scene where they do fuck and you're like, Oh, I don't like it. It's like, well, what the fuck do you want then? I think the answer, Andy, is I don't know. But. <laughs> okay, but you know, the, the the real way to infantilize sex is to make a show about fighting. So, yeah, like Ben was saying earlier, like, giant robot shows are a lot, you know, are frequently, you know, sort of metaphorically about putting on the trappings of adulthood and moving forward in your life. And fighting shows are also very much about that, where rather than having... You know, like in a romance show, the lead up being, you know, the you know meeting eyes and confessing and holding hands. You have, you know, somebody getting called out for a duel to the, the training arc, the, you know, the random scenes that make you want to hate the person instead of like the person. And then they ultimately, you know, the conflict happens, you know, they come apart at, you know, one defeats the other and then they become friends because ultimately, you know, 
fighting you know fighting shows are about you know there's some kind of fundamental misunderstanding of somebody and then that ultimately uh you know allows them to resolve that difference and one show that makes this almost more explicit than it could possibly be imagined is Baki the Grappler, my favorite TV show. <laughs> and to the point where not only is is fighting fucking, but fucking is also fighting. They there is a in the second big arc, the like like five most deadly death row inmates tournament arc, Baki <laughs> and his girlfriend come together and you know for the first time in one of the most bizarre ways you can possibly imagine because Baki literally is bullied into banging his girlfriend by his dad who like crashes into his room while they're about to do it and he's like yeah do it son this is how you become a man and 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 it like and at that moment of the show it is almost like him like having his like super saiyan moment where like it is like a fundamentally different part you know it's a fundamental part of him like growing up and while they're doing the deed Baki's like oh this is just like fighting only instead of moving in the way the other person doesn't want you move in the way they do want and <laughs> and, and then like and then like the, like the aftermath is them like embracing on this like tatsumi mat surrounded by like six or seven boxes worth of wadded up tissues which is like as explicit like it's like 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 the wadded up tissue is like one of those little tricks that anime does to let you know that you know something dirty just happened you know especially when it's like a guy alone in his room and that was incredibly horny yeah yeah and yeah like considering like this is like basically the only moment in Baki that is not like the most homoerotic like fighting anime of all time. <laughs> like you, like the, you like, you know, like lots of people are like, you know, they'll do like a, a tongue in cheek queer rooting of like a Jojo's bizarre adventure or something like that, where mm-hmm. you do not need to like even go that far <laughs> to make Baki about like gay sex. And there's, I mean, there's even a whole show about a Fujoshi going all in on Baki that I'm still struggling to find a good like <laughs> fan sub of. And yeah, so gotta learn Japanese. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm working gotta, on you it. Gotta, you gotta be a true, true fan, Jeff. I'm <laughs> fluent in Japanese. It's no wonder that uh, Paru Itagaki uh, ended up writing Beastars. As, like every time you talk yeah. about uh, uh, Baki, the, the fact that his daughter seems to have got traumatized into writing writing <laughs> a, a anime where fighting is very much is sex. Like no, not even the, the slightest bit of um, uh, hand waving about it. It just is. Yeah, yeah. The the scene the scene at the end of season two with. Uh, on the names Lagoshi and the deer guy. The whole sort of like consuming of flesh. Like that was mm, pretty sexual. <laughs> but also very good. Yeah. Very good. I think homoeroticism is generally like one of the more sublimated uh like ex- sublimated yet explicit sexual currents in, in anime. Like when I was writing up my list of like anime that I could possibly talk about, Berserk, Guts and Griffith, yeah. Super Gay, Genkutsuo, um, The Count and mm-hmm. Albert, Three. very gay, uh, Golden Kamui, everybody, and <laughs> everybody, yeah, very Kamui's, gay. Kamui is definitely in the, the backy uh, uh, line of uh, homoerotic fighting, but 
embraces it. Right. If someone is, like, strong enough and buff enough and sweaty enough, like, people have almost involuntary attraction to them is, like, the rule of of Golden Kamui. And I think it's the rule of a lot of shows where, like, big, handsome, muscular men get together and do an activity. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> uh, There's a whole uh, chapter in Baki when Jack Hammer... And Pickle, the like million year old caveman, have a kissing f- contest until one can bite the other one's face off. Like, it's it's not. It, it, gross, is, it is just the entire so text. That's that's gonna be animated in the next arc too. That's gonna be that's gonna rule. I'm so excited. September is gonna be a big time. <laughs> <laughs> Baki the Grappler is a seinen, right? I don't think it's a shonen or like a, a sort of the same. We've we've made. Ch- we- we make fun of each other all the time for like trying to like do genre categorization. It's published in weekly shonen comics, Andy, though, so yeah. it is a shonen. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, wild. Sounds great though. Um, I won't be watching. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> for real, read it. I think if you can, if you can read a thousand or two thousand chapters of One Piece, you can absolutely house Baki in a couple of months. Uh, between you rec- recommending this and me recommending Kageki Shoujo, this is turning into a manga podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to mention quickly other ones where, like, I guess the easiest way to know that a couple are legit is by having children. Uh, and this is what shonen manga does a lot, is uh, there's a time skip and then a couple <laughs> have a child. Uh, so Naruto... There's a, very, there's a lot of kids who, and they do this time split to Boruto and there's also Dragon Ball Z and a lot of kids, people jump in and have kids. I can't, I've not seen Dragon Ball Z, so I don't know. <laughs> I was also thinking of like Clanad. So Clanad, there is a scene in uh, the after story where um, all of a sudden Nagisa starts becoming, throwing up and then the mum is like, she's probably pregnant and then the, he goes, how do you know? She's like, well, I can hear you in the house. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's absolutely, that is, that, that's perfect. Like that, that's exactly the sort of stuff I, I, I would, would want. Like something like deadpan. We can hear you. For God's sake, here. Yeah, it was, it, it, it was, it was a good scene. Cloud well, is great. You all hate on Cloud mm, I love it. It's this, this one other thing, which that reminds me of is, is that, with all these things where we t- talk about, like, it might as well be the stork, for all we know, bringing them those kids. Like, the one ex- example I can think of where that's not true is uh, wolf children, which actually yeah. does go out of its way to depict, like, the, the mum and her her partner's uh, relationship. And so, like, the fact that that's... Well, that... <clears throat> yeah, I was also thinking also of uh, Mind Game. Do you remember that? In that, yeah. like, crazy sex you scene answer. in that? Yeah, yeah. Um... That was a good scene. I was also, uh, <laughs> finally, I just think that with anime, um, you have like a whole production team of people being like, so are the tits meant to be wobbling this way or that way? <laughs> Whilst when it's a manga, it's a single screen and also a single person usually drawing it. Like the scenes in the things in which I think about that have like some pretty interesting portrayals of sex is stuff like, um, my lesbian experience with loneliness, which has a really great sort of uh, scene where she gets a cool girl and she's like, I've just jumped to the top of like to the top of the class for emotion, physical intimacy. And I don't know what I'm doing and I'm scared. And it's quite it's quite a wonderful scene, actually. Um, 
And it'll never get adapted into an anime. No, it will never yeah, get adapted. No. Impossible. Uh, all of her, all of, I think, uh, Nagikubo, all of her works are incredible and really uh, like eye-opening and honest, brutally honest at times and definitely worth a read. Um, do you want to say something? I ben? do want to mention we, we, we did watch, we did watch uh, Wolf Children, me and, and my girlfriend over the weekend. I finally got her to. Oh, nice. I, 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 I scared her off this movie by being like, this is really sad. It's really sad. It's about raising kids and it's sad. And she's like, I don't want to see kids die. I'm like, oh, it's not kids dying. Uh, <laughs> which is It's not great with the fireflies. <laughs> which is always a good good um but no, the, like I think she was inc- incredibly moved and the one time she was not moved was when uh was when Hannah and Wolf Boy hook up and like it's her like silhouetted against gauze and then like oh mm. just like fucking wolf head comes in and then they like <laughs> intersect. It's very goofy. Um but but the po-facedness of of wolf children, and usually po-faced is like a is like a pejorative. It means someone who's like like unwarrantedly serious. But like wolf children's humor comes from like the characters interacting. Like there's no absurd scenes that we're supposed to like just laugh at on the face of it. And so it, I actually kind of admire it for just being like, yeah, she's kissing a wolf man. He's got a like a wolf wolf face. And then in the morning, like he wakes up and he's human. So you don't have to think about like her like fucking a wolf a werewolf, but. <laughs> If, if if you want to, that's there for you also. So we've talked about Wolf Children so many times. We talked about it in the in the in the decade retrospective. But yeah, like it's three different movies um, that are stapled together, and it's incredible how it works. But I think it works because it's the, it's the focus is the kids growing up. The focus is like, hey, mm. is not hey, I had a hot wolf boyfriend. I'm sad that I'm now a Jenny Nicholson patron, so I can't <laughs> reference the video where she talks about like hideous monster boyfriends and like how that trope only works if they look cool. It's like the Nutcracker, Barbie dating the Nutcracker is not a hideous monster boyfriend because the Nutcracker looks like a fucking idiot. But like, yeah, uh, her her wolf husband that later sires her wolf children um, definitely looks cool mm. in like a very, uh, I don't know. I never watched Wolf's Reign. I wish John was here so he could comment on it. But holds up, holds up. Best memorial host today. Once he started, started writing for himself, he got worse. He got worse. So... <laughs> Just to kind of link together what you two are saying, uh, Ben and Andy, like Andy mentions the the idea of uh, mangaka being closer to full control, being closer to auteurs. Do you think that the fact like someone like Yuasa has more freedom in, in what they want to show in a, a long form thing like a movie means that they can actually direct things more to adults than to kids? Yuasa in particular, I think, He's he's got an incredibly uh, kinetic style to his thing. He he does movement and the interaction of things really well. And like I remember Kenozume, which was another um, uh, sex as monsters is is thing uh, back in the day. It's like having like this very sweet uh, moment where uh, where a couple first meet and they're they're sort of early dating and and him getting that across through like little physical gestures and like that's the, the sort of seed of it and then all the way down at the end of the career you see something like where well, you see Devilman Crybaby where like sex and violence are so thoroughly intertwined and I don't know how something gets made like Devilman Crybaby unless it has that massive um, license and a massive auteur behind it. Devilman Crybaby was a out and out Netflix show. That was the reason why and then and I think that that is also yeah. the reason why with films, I feel that 
There is still censorship within TV, even though there is late night TV slots, there is still censorship within TV, which is probably what a lot of these directors are also having to battle against as well. Uh, With Devilman Crybaby, it was very much a Netflix only show and the original source material is already very like sex and violence anyway. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I feel that it's just different places of of showing and airing is mainly what gave gave them more freedom to show more explicit stuff. That's a good point. Like Netflix like flagship own like anthology connection is 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 what is it? Love, Death and Rope and Robots. And like that that like they they consciously pitch their animation offerings to as sort of subversive and adult. I guess the down of that is we get a lot of bad CG anime and I guess the plus of that is occasionally you'll get a Devilman Crybaby. Yeah, I mean Devilman Crybaby is still cheaply done. I still maintain that that is not a very beautiful anime. It's still a great show. It's got that Yuasa flavor. You, either you like it or you don't. <laughs> yeah, no, because of Yuasa's because of Yuasa's stylings, there's a lot of shortcuts. There's been some scenes in which me and Mids are like, this is so fucking cheap. It feels like they're just the they're just like just play, playing with like panning tools to like do animation but it works because it's Yuasa and then when Yuasa gets a lot of budget like Eki Ken uh, then you see him at his best the other one I wanted to briefly mention was March Comes In Like a Lion the sister uh, is mostly seen walking out of love uh, of love hotels and that's another sort of like common shorthand the old love hotel Um, but I don't have much to say on that apart from so another weird Japan thing man I am lucky that every single show that I rewatched over the past three or four months has <laughs> has come up in this conversation it feels like prescience <laughs> except for frank's but uh uh kyoko's relationship with goto the older man and one of her her father's peers mm. is very is one of probably one of the more morally complex things offered to you in march comes in like a line which is already like one of the, the more morally complex anime out there where he's obviously exploiting her because he misses his wife and she knows that she's a replacement, but thinks that if she sticks around long enough, he can't do without her. And they're both terrible to each other. And again, there's something about verisimilitude whenever you have these messy relationships, because I think anime, especially anime romance, idealizes like this perfectly neat relationship arc where you meet somebody and you clear out all the contenders and then you hold hands and then some unspecified time later you kiss and or fuck. And that's a relationship and it's it's playing to the target audience. That is how tweens and teens conceptualize love mm-hmm. and relationships. And um, it's also how like sexually unsuccessful people want to go back and relive that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think us all, all, all of us, um, at least romantically experienced, know that like that these messy things and real people like. Well, there's no clear op. There's no clear option. Like, I think those are much more attractive stories to hear. Mm. And I think that that is kind of why people are drawn to this, this sort of fan service tension. We talked about all the homoerotic ones, but like Motogatari series or Golden Boy, where they're just like these droolingly horny protagonists who just are imagining like wild, ridiculous harem-like futures with every woman they come across. The messiness and, and the crossing over and the, the fact that like some desires can be blunted by other desires, or that some people's desires can be blunted by other people. I think that that is where these these relationships become more exciting. And it's something you 
begin to crave as you're watching <laughs> romance anime after romance anime mm -hmm. or even something relatively messy like Nagatoro or something is still very neat. It's still they both like each other. They're just idiots <laughs> and don't and don't know how to say it. But like having an obvious option in front of you and deciding whether it's something you actually want, I think, is a much more adult experience of attraction and relationship and therefore one that we're more drawn to, even if it's couched within literal like cartoon wolf, red face, howling, <laughs> stamping his foot and <laughs> and that sort of thing. Uh, looking at the girl and watching her turn into like a turkey dinner or whatever. <laughs> but talk, talking about monogatari real quick and also i was going to mention good ending as well but monogatari if i remember correctly and it's been a while maybe a decade since i've watched it but i remember there was a, a very like i don't know whether intimate or frank scene with senjo gahara where she's like i know you want to have sex but also i was raped and i will get around my own like physical intimacy barrier but you're gonna have to give me time will you be there to give me time and i think he was like yeah and that was like a really sweet moment but i might be misremembering that no that was yeah that was a, a scene in nisei monogatari uh there's also i believe it's definitely in back monogatari it's yeah it's not i haven't watched nisei monogatari it's definitely in back monogatari because i remember okay. it being like that's a really good like it, it was near the end and i don't mm. i think it was before the cat arc because i didn't watch the cat arc yeah, yeah, like, like like the timeline is challenging because it's all over the place over the the series, <laughs> but there there it does seem to be a moment where their relationship sort of like goes to the next level because like Aragi is surrounded by all of these like ghost girls and haunted girls that he sort of has like joking intimate relationships with. Kidding, not kidding, I would say honestly. Mm. Yeah, and the <laughs> but like the only actual one that he does actually stay true to is Senju Kahara and it is the one that flourishes throughout the series especially towards the end when he's not in a mirror universe or in hell or you know yeah, yeah. which he spends a lot of time <laughs> in in the last few uh, in the last few seasons they have a very nice date right at the end there yeah <laughs> May, I would maybe cap this off with like one one final one which is takes us back to the beginning of all this, which is, is kind of the, the cultural context. And one place where that is important is where you have autobiographical films. And In This Corner of the World has a really sweet yeah. and convincing portrayal of like a formal marriage where they start in a, a way we just almost can't imagine, where they start with cold intimacy and then build, as we would recognise it, a relationship. And it starts... Starts with like a formal act, like just something which is almost a ceremony, mm. which they they do, like like in a weird way, it's almost not, it's almost sex, but not sex, and so like but yeah, but that that sort of goes into again, like the like I said, autobiographical, along with like my lesbian experience of loneliness. Mm. The other one that occurred to me was I don't understand my husband, the weird like short gag show um, <laughs> where there is a lot of like shorthands of the pillows with the circle and the X um, which is also mentioned in like Bonoji if you read that manga again never going to be translated into an anime because it's come and gone and no one gave a shit but I enjoyed it a lot <laughs> but yeah uh, 
that's all that's all about sex and we'll never talk about it again. until season two of yeah. uh of um yeah, until Hormia, Hormia yeah. comes yeah. back and yeah. then we just have a whole you can have a whole <laughs> tween without me it'll be great for me yeah it'll be bad <laughs> it'll be real bad <laughs> uh, for you because you'll be eating humble pie my friend <laughs> They'll they'll they'll, t- they'll time skip until Hori and uh, Miyama are getting married and have two kids. They'll, they'll just get go. They'll just go, and they'll be like, "How do we get those? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even kissed yet." But I like that. Also, like talking about that sort of thing, like uh, Yotsuba, like you know, there's a cute kid in that, but it's not his real father. Like they're not biologically related at all. It's just a uh, she, he just adopted it. For, for for a moment there, I thought you were going to a a, a different notorious uh, thing. I thought you were going oh. to go. I thought you were going towards Usagi. And yeah, like, yeah, no. Mm, no. So let's not Thankfully. go there. Yeah. No, no, um, no. Let's cut. Let's cut this. Okay. Uh, we're gonna go to break. We're gonna come back. You're gonna hear about school days, the second season of Magic Knight Ray Earth, and the most recent episodes of. One Piece is that is that what it is, Handy? Uh, manga, but I'll I'll delve into oh. the anime as well. This is this is a podcast about anime, Andy. <laughs> I have watched I have watched an anime of One Piece. I can let sure. you know all about it. <laughs> okay, fine, whatever. Uh, let's take a break. <laughs> And we're back. Let's go ahead and start with One Piece. Andy, you were very proud that you caught up. How many volumes or chapters did you have to read to get from where you were to where you are? You started from the bottom. Now you're here. Yeah, so, so. I... <laughs> probably about 20, I believe. 20 volumes. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, no, no. So, yeah, 20 volumes. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so I, I started on... Uh, I found out that I roughly stopped reading at about 840, and it's now on 1,043. Uh, 1,049 is the manga that just came out. So in context to the One Piece fans, I, that's at the beginning of the Zoark, and then it moves on to Sanji's... Uh, so I missed the whole of Big Mum's wedding with Sanji, and then it moved into... The recent Wano arc um, where he's fighting Kaido and the recent thing, he's literally just defeated Kaido um, with a punch that took three chapters to do. (laughs) But, I mean, obviously, it's a stupid thing to say that One Piece is my favourite manga because I've read a thousand chapters of it. If I didn't read a thousand chapters of it and didn't enjoy it, then what the fuck am I doing with my life? You'd be mean. But... uh... Yeah, don't start One Piece, Ben. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't do. I can't do One Piece or Gintama for exactly these reasons. So, <laughs> but also, like, do start One Piece because it is exceptional. It's it's such a masterclass in storytelling in the way that it's like in in long form storytelling that you just can't get in like one or two seasons. You can't get this like power creep of of uh, Luffy sort of starting off as like eating a, a fruit and then finding out literally a thousand chapters later that the fruit that he's eaten is actually a legendary fruit that makes him a sun god and now he's awakened to his sun god powers uh he can like turn everything into rubber and he's a weird cartoon boy 
it sounds stupid, but somehow Oda makes it work so that you're so excited that this shit is happening uh, that you can't help but fall in love with it. Like any story where someone becomes a god is like instantly I'm a thousand percent less interested in it. So what's cool? What is different about Luffy being a god versus being just like a super powered stretch? Is he stretchy? Is yeah. He stretchy? So, I mean, Luffy. I pay Luffy attention. Famously, <laughs> famously ate uh, the gum gum food. Because uh, if you remember from the line, yo ho ho, he ate a, a bite of gum gum. Um, that was from the four kids stuff. Uh, yeah, he ate the gummy gummy fruit, which turned him into a, a rubber man. The the god thing is not literal. It is more like metaphorical, but it is at the point now where everybody believes he's going to be the pirate king. So, you know, it's kind of just reinforcing that he's somehow managed to eat an incredibly powerful fruit that none of us knew about until now. And, and it's weird, right? Because I don't know whether if One Piece wasn't the runaway success it is, I don't know if Oda would have ever gotten to this point. Would have even like bothered to get to a point where, or think of like a power creep where he's like, well, Luffy's obviously gonna be able to do some insane shit that now he's bending rules of reality. <laughs> and I like, but not really. Like he's not bending rules of reality is wrong. He's now able to basically. He used to be, he's a rubber man, and now he can punch with rubber, but then he can also, in Gear 5, he can also use, like, uh, see, this is a thing. They've all got set, they've all got names, and I'm well into it. So, they've, like, his pharmacia <laughs> fruit is now also uh, a Logan, I can't remember what it's called. I think um, explaining the powers is, is like explaining the joke. You're, yeah. You're, you're slow, slowly killing the magic here. I'm, here, I'm slowly <laughs> killing the magic, but it's that journey of discovery. And that's this is what One Piece does really well, is the fact that it is a journey. And I think I've brought this up before. Like, there is a journey and there is an end destination. And that end destination is the end of the Grand Line where he's going to find Goldie Rogers' treasure. But the friends and the cat people you meet along the way are so likable and so lovable that you just get infatuated with them. And you get infatuated with all of everyone who's in that group. And, you know, after a thousand chapters, you're like, oh, well, this person joined the crew. And you're like, oh, yeah, no, he is going to join the crew. After a thousand chapters, you just die. (laughs) Andy died. It's in. It's the end. Uh, apologies. <laughs> no, stupid. I, I, I died. He's be, he's be, he's beyond us. He's ascended. I'm, I'm sorry. I I ascended uh, into one piece. But <clears throat> I just wanted to bring up. I don't want to bring in the story of One Piece, but it, emotionally it gets me every time. I love all the characters, and I just fall in love with everything that they do. And I think it works because they're so simplistic. And I really love like the way that Luffy is portrayed as this person who has one track mind of becoming the pirate king. And then he doesn't care about anything else. He's not even interested in like relationships or like sexual relationships, especially. And I think it works really well for him. I already get what you're what your feelings are, but like this has gone a long ways from where it was. And it's, this can't really be something that Oda imagined when he was writing chapter one. So how far do you think what we are seeing right now is 
from what he originally conceived and how much of that is like the runaway popularity and the runaway just character development of these characters over like thousands of chapters. <laughs> yeah. The sad thing is, I honestly don't know. I, I think the genius... There, there, were, there wasn't foreshadowing or something? Like, there wasn't, like, no flashbacks or anything? Like, this really was just, like, a straight linear narrative where you just went to absolutely insane degrees with it. Yeah. The time when you find out that the Gomu Gomu no Mi has a separate name is just as he's about to awaken his powers. Now, there are hints along the way. Since then, looking into it, the, uh, the concept of you awakening to your devil fruit power... And I am apologies if this is really boring, but the the that that has been around for a very long time in the anime, and like the universe itself has been around for a very long time. But as to when Oda went, I've got a hit to I'm going to write a thousand chapters of this thing, <laughs> and this is how I'm going to set out the story. I have no idea. Like I and I think this is this is what's so great about One Piece and why it. Why it is such an achievement is because it feels natural. Like it, it, at the end of the day, it's a guy making some friends and going on a sailing adventure around the world and then getting into fights along the way with powerful enemies and the Navy. But the way that the story and the power creep and, and the training is all built into it, the base simplicity of his powers and the base simplicity of the world works to a degree that you he just builds upon that foundation slowly and slowly and slowly. And whether that was because his foundation was so broad to begin with that he had a lot of leeway to build that power level and to build those complex theories up, or whether he had that designed from the very beginning, I genuinely couldn't tell you. Interesting. The only thing I can tell you is that he knows the last. He has, like a lot of these people, he's written the last chapter already, and he wrote that like when it started. So he has an end in mind, supposedly. But then this is also the guy who tells me that he's like fifty percent of the way done when he's oh god, you know, like <laughs> like like five like five hundred chapters ago. Who has life enough for that much? <laughs> I mean, honestly, if if you've tapped that like fountain of youth of anime relevancy, then why not why not take it all the way? Yeah, I think it's impressive the way that 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 he seems to be like a master tactician of like whenever to borrow from an anime I'm watching this season. He's not he's not a Paripi Kome planning out everything in advance. He's just really good at adapting to what's come up. It sounds like, and it's interesting to see how that goes down because i do i just rewatched the Lindsay ellis video about how game of thrones imploded and she talks about how like it's a good idea to have an idea of where your story is going to end up but it's actually a pretty bad idea to have an idea of where have how you're going to get there from the very beginning mm. and <laughs> this sounds like a, a great example of like it's a good idea to have an idea of where your story is going to end up but like if you'd pre-planned it sounds like one piece is so manic, so outrageous, so going in every direction, so beholden only to its own rules that like to plan a story for one piece would actually be a pretty bad idea. So credit to him that he seems to have found the rhythm. I think but I think this is also tapping into something unlike Game of Thrones, which is for my I haven't seen it, so I can't totally say, but from my understanding is it's a very complex 
character-based stories and that they're all character-driven to a really large degree, right? It's complex. Yes. But this is what I also think is great about One Piece is that it's the story is really simple. The main story is one person gets to the end of the world and then becomes the pirate king. That is how it's set up at the very beginning and that is how it's going to end. It's no, ju- it's no surprise that Luffy's going to be the Pirate King. You knew that from episode chapter one, right? Yeah. But it's that journey of him getting there, like both literal and metaphorical, that is such a joy to watch and I absolutely adore. And then his cast, his crew that he builds along the way are just additional parts to the story and to the overall character. And I really adore. And like even when it's a small thing like Sanji, you meet Sanji chapter 50 or something right 800 chapters later he's about to be wedded off to someone else and then you find out that he's actually got a backstory where he's part of a really evil organization called germa 66 that they just he's just never mentioned and you never questioned it you never never questioned it and there's one really stupid joke at the very beginning where everyone gets their wanted posters and then Sanji gets this really badly drawn wanted poster, which then another pirate who looks exactly like the wanted poster tries to have a fight with him because he's like, why are you, Why is everyone trying to be after me now? I just wanted a peaceful life. To the point where that then comes back because then his family tries to arrest that guy because they think he's Sanji. And then they're like, well, he was useless. I, I don't know why we, <laughs> why we got him. And he only became caught when his poster got re-uploaded with his same picture or like replaced with a proper picture of him. And it, I, it's just like small bits like that. Like he must have known, he must have planned that stuff or he, someone must have pointed out. He's just got an incredible team of people who know his own story better than him and point out little jokes, point out little things. And he's like, I can build on that and I can work on that. The thing that I wanted to bring up though is the 1,000th, episode which i did watch because i was like i gotta see how the a thousandth episode goes and this is the weird thing it's really depressingly average oh no (laughs) oh no and and this is also the problem is because you want it to be a celebration and in a way it is i i haven't seen or read or watched anything that is a thousand episodes long it isn't a celebration to get to the 1,000th episode. But the problem is, is that they're in an arc that they can't get out of. <laughs> and they, uh. they can't build to a point in which they defeat a character because that character hasn't even been defeated in the manga anime yet. And there's no way they're skipping. They're going to you know, cut their own heads off by guessing what manga's going to do. Even though it's very fucking, very fucking obvious. They don't know how to get there. So... It starts off with a really, like, it made me cry. It's the open, the first opening, We Are, which is a classic anime opening that everybody knows. But then they've frame by frame redone it, but then with their new character skins. And it's really fucking cool. And it really got me. I'm looking at Ben and he's really bored, but... I mean, that sounds sweet. It was sweet. a very powerful... Sorry, I'm, try- I'm, trying, I'm trying my best. I'm trying so hard, Andy. But that was really, for me, that was like, that was fantastic. I loved that. And I was like, yeah, I can't wait for the rest. And then the rest is like 15 minutes of just the story. And then it takes a break. And then they're like, oh, wait, this is the 1,000th episode. And then they just do this really weird recap of all the characters 
and then they sort of like walk up to a bit and then do a pose. Frankie does an Akira slide. Like, it's just like them saying, right, this is the thousandth episode. Okay, we've got to do some stuff. And then they do like random shit and it doesn't make any sense. And ultimately, it's very upsetting. It sounds like One Piece, the way you describe it, Andy, sounds like a show which has got a lot of its fandom from just being kind of joyous of having yeah like being the exact opposite of the po-facedness which uh ben describes in uh wolf children and then mm. when it gets its a thousands episode that second half of it sounds basically like a po-faced oh we must revere these characters there yeah. and and their legacy and you're like that just feels wrong that doesn't feel like what made you great yeah yeah, exactly. I mean, it is great to be reminded of their story again, but you know their story because their story's so well told that you just remember it and you love it. And and you've been there for a thousand chapters. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, so that, and it's literally like Usopp does a thing and then it cuts to him and then it cuts to like 30 seconds of his backstory. Then Frankie comes up. He does a thing, cuts the 30 seconds of his backstory. Zoro comes up, he does a thing, mm. cuts the 30 seconds of his backstory. And I'm like, I, I don't need to know because I already know. Do you think it's meant to be like a, a jump on point for people who are just like, wow, a thousand chapters, I guess I better start reading One Piece. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know what they were thinking apart from like, it is very obvious watching the anime now how slow it's gotten. It really drags its feet. And this is a show that already has like a four minute long opener because they wanted to get more content in and they don't have an ending song. <laughs> it's really slow and they really, really drag their feet to the point where there's like, there's pauses in the dialogue which don't make sense. It's like second long pauses and there's like no much background music. It feels like cheaply done, but then you'll get like, one or two scenes which are really beautifully animated and really cool to watch. Which then brings me on to the next best thing that is on the One Piece 1000th episode, which isn't in the episode, but it is really fucking cool to watch. They took one second from every episode and then put it in this very long montage of about 10 minutes. And that, that is really fucking cool. That's the celebration that I wanted to see where you see the way that the anime started and then you see the way that it moves from 4.3 to widescreen. Then you see the way that the character designs change. You see the way that they progress. If you know the story, you know the plot beats that are in these one-second bits. And that is really lovely. That is a true celebration of One Piece and everything that it managed to achieve, more than the actual episode. But it is the best thing I've ever read, and I don't think <laughs> I will... I will champion it to death, but no one's ever going to fucking read it until they're properly out of their mind. Well, you're you're invested now, like well, it, yeah, like how bad <laughs> how bad would it have to be for you to stop reading One Piece? Is what I'm asking. <laughs> I guess it will have to get to a point because I'll never stop reading One Piece. I'll probably do again what I've done, which are like I maybe take a break for a year and then just like consume everything that's happened in a in a year. But take Naruto for example. I hated reading Naruto. Because it was so inconsequential. Nothing made sense. I didn't care about anyone. I didn't like anyone. And like I just had no attachment to the characters anymore. 
And somehow One Piece manages to keep me being attached. But Naruto, after that second year gap, like that time skip halfway through, I just lost what the characters were about and what they were doing and their meaning. And I feel that that's kind of why One Piece didn't go that way, because you know the ending, because it's a journey. Whilst Naruto is just, a, I don't know, they're fighting some evil dudes, I guess. Sasuke, Orochimaru, I guess. Like, do you know what Akatsuki, I'm saying? Yeah, just just a, a progression of... Yeah, do you know what I'm saying? Well, no, because it, it, I think that what, what makes Shonen grind so bad is, like, the progression of just, like, interchangeable villains who are all just like, I hate this world and I want it to burn. <laughs> and just, like... Yeah, if you read if you read a, a shonen manga that you're not enjoying long enough, you agree with the villains. You hate this world. You want it to burn. <laughs> so there's a thin line to walk. <laughs> I mean, One Piece will end, but there is also a thing where they introduce small things where you're like, "Oh shit, I haven't even thought about that. That's really fucking cool and interesting, and I want to read more." For example, um. The we know that there's the last island, and that this like you have a, a log thing that a log pose that points you to the island. But there's now a thing where it's like, but no one knows how to get to the island unless you read these specific things, which tells you the exact location. X marks the spot, and I was like, that's fucking cool. And then they're like, but we don't know where one is. You're gonna have to find it. You're gonna have to find them. And it's like, but we, I, 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 you know, it's just like it then. You harks back to like episodes, hundreds of episodes ago that like where you're like, oh, there was that phonoglyph. That is the thing that they're trying to find. And then you're like, shit, that's been built in since episode God knows how long. It just builds on to levels where I'm just in awe of the way that it's created. I can't overstate my love for One Piece. I won't ever bring it up again because I've spoken for 15 minutes about it. That's a lie. That's, that's absolutely <laughs> Well, well, speaking of speaking of things that are very tactically astute in the way they're written, um, I'm going to talk about something that's not that because Magic Knight Ray Earth had 20 episodes. They were a bit run of the mill shoujo ish, even though there were giant robots and a dangerous fantasy world. Um, but they finally had this very dramatic discovery at the end of the first season that they were called in specifically to assassinate the goddess of this fantasy world because she had fallen in love with her protector and she's not allowed to love because her thoughts become reality. And if all she does is think about some dude, then the world will go to shit. Um, so that was cool and dark and interesting. And then they want another season of Ray Earth because it was really good <laughs> in terms of commercial uh, effect. So uh, they made 29 more episodes. I've watched eight of these episodes. Uh, <laughs> It does not begin very promisingly uh, because almost entirely uh, the OP is just recycled cells from the first season, which is Classic. always a bad sign. Yeah. Um, and also there was the whole thing of they can only be called to Sephiro, the land in which Ray Earth takes place by the wish of the princess who has in her last moment of sanity desired to be killed so that she will not ruin the world that she rules over. And yeah so they're called back again the princess is still dead <laughs> inescapably and they discover that now with no princess there's not an automatic process where a new princess is selected there's just a weird room of sentient water that will kill anyone who enters it except for the the new princess 
And in the meantime, they're in this castle above this just disintegrating landscape made of just like jagged crystal, which is all that's left of the beautiful fantasy world. And a bunch of spaceships invade because a lot of people out there in the galaxy want to control a world where wish becomes reality. And there are some people from uh, Autozam, which is like a robot planet that want to take over the world. And there are also people from, I'm not even going to look up their name. Um, they're from planet China and they come in a big red dragon and they all wear traditional Chinese dress. And all you hear is the comedic gong sound banging whenever they talk. And they're the masters of illusions and their princess who is small and proud and extremely stupid believes that she will be the next princess of, uh, of Sephiro and there's also like a weird witch lady with long like knife fingers uh, who wants to destroy Sephiro and she's co-opted a couple of the villains from the previous season to help her. It is very much an auto, uh, a retrofit of their first season's plot to like keep on going. And it's very obvious because the first season had a message of like, you can be a hero, but a hero is still ultimately a murderer. And the second season is like, oh, hero, heroes can be other things too. They can help people. Don't. Don't listen to what I said just 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 a few a little <laughs> while ago. No, heroes heroes can be good people. I like some elements. Uh, at the beginning of the season, I really like how they're all like really shaken by their experience. They're all like sadder, quieter versions of themselves. They all fiercely miss the friendship of the three characters, the three main characters, uh, Hikaru, Umi, and Fu. They all are happy to go back, but then they realize that like this is an even weirder situation than they were shoved into. I also like after they've spent four or five episodes just like really obviously reshaping the premise into a different one where they live in an abstract void in a nightmare castle with the identical brother of the bad guy from the first episode and a bunch of spaceships coming in and an amorphous evil cosmic being wanting to fuck with them. It's just, it's so, it's so weird how, how they play that out <laughs> with these characters, how they play this out with like, just like the bad guy from Lodoff's War and everyone who died in the first season's back and they're like not changed by the experience of having died. It's it's so weird. I don't know where it's going to go. I think there's going to be a three-way a four-way fight between Cosmic Evil, Chinese ship, Bros and Robot ship and the castle full of the Magic Knights. But just this is exactly the example of a show that shouldn't have had a second season, as far as I can tell. So I'm sorry to tell you, Jeff, that like your wish that like this would be like the secret best season of Ray Earth has not come to pass. <laughs> it's just like suits telling them like we have an order for 29 more episodes. Good luck. So uh, <laughs> come up with an extension to the plot. I don't know how to feel about it. Like they're discovering that they're rune beasts, even though everyone who like is impressed by their robots is like, oh, they're completely organic beings. They can summon new parts of themselves out of will. These are amazing. These robots suck. They lose every single fight now, even though they won every single fight in the first season um, because guys from the robot planet, um, who apparently identical-looking brother of the bad guy from the first season, like betrayed Sephiro to go to for a while. Yeah, a lot of politics. A lot of watching our heroes eat shit. They keep splitting up the party. The most powerful part of Ray Earth is these three girls who do not like each other at the beginning and how they become just like incredibly close friends by the end because they're just going through shit and at the end discover they have to murder their patron. That's like their goal. So like that's great. And now they keep trying to like break off Hikaru as the main character of the second season. 
and Hikaru as an impulsive chibi um, with an anger problem who loves animals is not enough to stand up on her own. She needs the she needs the like calm nerd and the prissy prissy rich girl to like balance her out. Mm. It's not it's not a protagonist show. It's an ensemble show. So I'm actually kind of dreading that I have 21 more episodes of this story. You're, you're making it it sound like Ben that it's made the ex- exact sort of mistakes that One Piece has avoided. Like you're <laughs> talking about it being an ensemble cast and then not respecting the fact that the dynamics of that ensemble has carried it a lot and by splitting them up. That's that's actually a great point because I do think that the thing that has always troubled Ray Earth in terms of its production and its writing and its narrative is that there are not enough characters. This is a character-starved setting. There are the three main characters, six or seven bad guys, and four or five good guys, and that is all the characters in the universe. There, are, You very occasionally see, like, randos, but otherwise, like, this is an ecosystem of 14 to 15 characters, and that's everyone who's important in the entire setting. Um, and so... They necessarily, to make more things happen, they have to split up the important characters, which means your already small cast is getting smaller as it's split off into flashbacks and sideshows. And Hikaru goes off into the wilderness to like try to... She's like, well, the princess isn't in... The new princess isn't in the castle, so I guess I have to go off into this formless void and find someone who could be the princess. I don't have any qualifications to distinguish what that is, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> And she's like, hey, I can bring Zagato's brother. Zagato was evil, but this guy's not. And someone else is like, actually, he betrayed us for another planet that's trying to invade us. And she's like, no, I think he's nice. No, it'll be fine. Uh, so that's the level of like plot writing of just like characters making obviously stupid decisions against the against the advice of other more knowledgeable characters. So it, it really is struggling to, like, find the momentum. There aren't enough characters doing things to start something happening. So what you have to have instead are these incredibly powerful outside forces forcing characters' hands, forcing them to do stupid things to make stuff happen. And it is definitely has the feeling of a manga or an anime that's running low on its tank of gas. And and I'm trying to think of cool things that happen. Mokuna still awesome there's a uh zagato's brother has a fairy who just like is in love with him and is crazy jealous of everyone else and mokuna eats her in one episode that was great that's probably the best thing that's happened in <laughs> that so far does it, it does, do they keep to it that, that you never see the fairy again or was it just like no a comedy he eats bit? her and then, and then and then you can hear her whining inside of him and then he spits her out a few scenes later it's not like actual digestion duncan i'm sorry your vor, your vor fetish will not be fulfilled but, but <laughs> It is, it is funny that, that like it's it, that, it, it makes Mokuna continue to be like the best character because like this girl is this fairy is really annoying and just at some point she's like you who are you blah 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 and he's just like oh and he just like swallows her and you're like yeah finally it's like when he kisses Umi in the first season yeah just he, getting things moving thank you Mokuna you most like we don't know how powerful you are but. You're powerful enough to make things that we want to happen in this show happen. But yeah, otherwise, it's very weird to watch a limited run show be retrofitted to an infinite run show. And Ray Earth is probably one of the more egregious examples I've seen of a show that like was meant to run for 20 episodes and a suit came in and said, no, it's 49 episodes. (laughs) So figure the shit out ASAP. And I hope they do. 
Ben, do you know if it was based on an original manga or if it was a script, as you say, like a, a script directly done just to be a, a limited series? Or was there like anything they could fall back to or was it absolutely nothing? Like they, they had no, no fallback at all? So the answer is yes, Duncan, there was a manga. However, the uh, first run of the manga was complete on um, March 6th, 1995, which is basically after the first season of the mo- of the anime had aired, um, but before the second season had aired. Ah, and then the okay. second season aired, and then they wrote a second manga series to adapt what they'd done in the show. So this is blind territory, 100%, that they, that they don't know where they're going. They know that they want more, mm. and they're, yeah, going to go ahead. Yes, they made an OVA after after the manga had finished that adapted things a little more cleanly. Uh, so I might have to check that out. I also might be dead sick of Ray Earth by that point. So, uh, <laughs> MG risks. Yeah, I was tricked into this by thinking that uh, thinking that Escaflone was good. And so I'm like, oh, OK, all shoujo slash giant robot anime are good. I was wrong. This is fine, but not good and definitely like mid 90s cruft of the highest degree we clearly see that uh um the 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 actual true differentiator between them is that ray earth has a a a rabbit and uh and we all know you don't fuck rabbits so yeah and uh (laughs) that's clearly biased against (laughs) it yeah and escaflone has got a cat girl it totally makes sense now yeah 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 i mean i I will say i will say mokuna is my favorite (laughs) Mokuna is my favorite character in, in Ray Earth. Um, he doesn't give a shit. Uh, he is super powerful, but like has to be asked to help every single time. I'm either because he doesn't care because he's a dumbass, and either way, those are both traits I like in my super powerful characters. So yeah, no, Mokuna can hang. Out of anybody in Ray Earth, it would probably be Mokuna I'd hang out with. He could smoke a bowl and we'd have a good time. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Dream blood rotation. <laughs> <laughs> Mokuna <laughs> smoking weed. Google search. I mean, uh, okay, I see a Mokuna bong, which is pretty rad. <laughs> God. Uh, Google blocked the rest of my research results, so that's our hell. <laughs> anyway, Jeff. Yeah. All Jeff, right. take us out here with a perfectly normal anime that we'll have no issues. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of our fetishes going unfulfilled, <laughs> I was watching <laughs> Shikimori is not just a cutie expecting another scary anime girlfriend and again being sold a bill of goods where it turns out she's just cool and nice bullshit i mean i felt that was pretty obvious pretty obvious from the beginning <laughs> right hey I'm, I'm 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 scrabbling for scraps yeah and yeah. andy took mercy on me and told me to watch school days actually to me i think i think my i wrote one line in uh slack chat which was for fuck's sake jeff just watch school days already yeah i don't i don't think it was advice i think it was provocation that you accepted <laughs> i knew i knew like a red rag to a bull i knew i knew that would get him i was like i'm not gonna mention it i'm not gonna say anything i'm not even gonna like bring it up again because i knew that was enough to grab his attention <laughs> and yeah like this is one of those shows that has a reputation but everybody is like shh, shh don't tell anybody don't, don't tell them what's gonna happen so i went into it knowing exactly that much that there was going to be a turn at some point uh-huh. so the basic premise of school days is that it's about a shitty potato coon who has a crush on a girl that he's been riding the train with. Uh, another girl notices that he like that he likes her, 
offers to give some advice on how to get together with him and it works but then he kind of gets sick of her and starts to like the uh the the girl who's been helping him and things start to kind of spiral the at first i I thought it was kind of interesting in so far as that it's a show about a a shitty teen and it's very believable in that you know everybody is sort of like waking up to their hormones and sort of figuring out how to be in a relationship and the first the fact that his first relationship is like oh this is somebody i'm vaguely interested in she's not really ready for the stuff that i want i lose interest and it's like okay this is just kind of like a normal thing to go through and it was kind of surprisingly frank about that and you know the fact that his affections transfer over to this other girl but of course because of this anime if something like this is portrayed as being normal that means that the world that is being portrayed in has to be as arch and insane as possible (laughs) Uh, this is based on a visual novel Mm -hmm. so towards the you know the middle to end of the series our hero motoko starts behaving like a visual novel protagonist in that he bags literally every female character with a speaking role other than the like underaged like little sister i'm i have not played the visual novel i assume he does not bag her in the video game but no promises i would imagine there's a way (laughs) (laughs) there are two ways to adapt a visual novel which is the first way is there to just like every ending gets worked in either through OVAs or with a harem ending or the second way is to pick a canon a canon route and it sounds like this is the first way which is the more traditional way of like mm. it's like how Ori Emo ends where like there are OVAs of him like dating Kuro Neko even though yeah has his gross incest in game in the actual <laughs> and, and, story and same to Clanad you know there's there's a bunch of other like OVAs of him dating all the other girls but this anime is special. Yeah, because, because I don't believe it chooses the uh, quote unquote true ending. This is an interesting show. And this is where, you know, big spoilers. If you're worried about getting spoiled about this nearly 20 year old <laughs> adaptation of a visual novel. Watch out. They adapt the two bad endings oh. where <laughs> Seonji, the sort of like second girl who he transfers his uh, affections onto, she becomes pregnant because again you know in a thing that's pretty realistic you know when they're first starting out they are being impulsive they are not being thoughtful you know as the show progresses motoko uh, the potato protagonist says like oh yeah like we've been using protection with all these other girls but she thinks she's pregnant and she tells them as much and he basically says like i don't want anything to do with this i'm too young i can't manage this and he's also like gone back to the first girl who like after being broken up with basically went into like a catatonic like mental spiral and was like snapped out of it when he realized that oh no I've, I've treated this girl so badly and I hurt her so much and now I feel badly about it and I want to go back to her and so Seonji kills him with a knife in the last couple, <laughs> in the last episode and then the the original girl uh, Koto Noha Koto Noha basically confronts her says I know what you've done and then kills her as well and shows her 
uh, the original boy's head in a duffel bag, and then she goes off into the sunset on her dad's yacht with her dead boyfriend's severed head. The end. <laughs> That's weirdly close to the ending of Alien Prometheus, yeah. <laughs> you're a woman with a man's head in a bag, and you're going on a trip. Who hasn't been there? Uh, this is also... Uh, a very strange meme that came out of this show called Nice Boat, where um, <laughs> uh, the last episode of School Days was held back a week. Because at the same time they were going to do this fucked up ending, there was an actual attack, uh, and I believe a murder, in a school where someone attacked a person with an axe. And that is exactly the same way that she beheads the boyfriend in this show. So <laughs> instead of showing the last episode, they instead showed a relaxing video of a boat sailing through like the southern islands of Japan and, and with some relaxing music. And then people were like, Andy, you will be proud to know that you brought this up uh, around 45 minutes into our very first episode of Keyframes ever when you explained the nice boat meme. Here we are, like... <laughs> 140 episodes later. Good, good. It's all come full circle. I can't believe Jess hasn't listened to episode one. I mean, I probably did. <laughs> seven years ago <laughs> yeah but it, you're right it, it is infamous, it's infamous as well but ultimately did you like it jeff i did like it i enjoyed how frank it was about just the shittiness of a guy who for you know one of the sort of high concepts you have to just kind of accept is that this dude is like a tier one pussy getter for <laughs> no apparent reason like <laughs> Every girl, like, he's told, like, oh, you're really popular. And it's like, why? Like, we're <laughs> literally never given any reason for, like, why he's popular. He seems like kind of an asshole. He's not, like, a top student. He sits at the back and, like, has his, like, sort of cute back and forth with Seonji. I can buy that, like, two girls who are not extremely... Experience, experienced in the world. Yeah. Not, not even experienced, but, like, you know, like, they're kind of isolated. They're kind of immature. Like, I could see them, like, you know, getting him. And, like, they, they just seem like, you know, they're kids. They, you, know, they're, you know, they're not, like, the usual anime character of, like, oh, this person. You could transfer them, you know, you could take the, the school president and transfer them into being, like, the CEO of a world-spanning Zaibatsu because, you know, they're inexplicably brilliant. And, you know, these are just, like, dumb kids. As a show, it's very believably about these three people have a kind of a shitty love triangle. Seonji originally starts helping him out because she likes him and she figures like, oh, if I can't be with him, you know, I will at least like be able to see him happy because they have these very sort of storybook ideas of what romance should be like. And as the show progresses, it becomes more and more frank. You know, he, you know, he loses interest in the first girl, loses interest in the second girl. And basically any, he gets a reputation for like being a, you know, a fun experienced guy and so he starts going out with these other girls who also have varied sort of frank and base expectations but then the last episode has to be about how he is committed like the ultimate cardinal sin of breaking a pure anime girl's heart and must die and so he does and it's 
pretty graphic you know even if the the blood is all black but he still gets like hell of stabbed on screen <laughs> over and over again and then when confronted by the first girl the second girl is killed and cut open and she looks inside her womb and says oh you were never pregnant to begin with which is like a genuinely insane thing because whoa yikes what the and and yeah and then hard cut to her floating off on her nice boat with her boyfriend's head in a duffel bag (laughs) and you could have a completely different ending and just be like okay this is just a this is kind of like a scum's wish sort of genre show but you know because it is an adaptation of a visual novel and because i i don't know why they decided to end it this way other than just like maybe just pure shock value but i mean it's funny it's definitely <laughs> like hilarious in the way that anime is but i i did like genuinely get something out of the first you know like few episodes even if it wasn't scary anime girlfriend did you know that it was coming I, I mean, I had an idea. Like, I knew the show had a reputation. I would see all, like, I was watching it on Crunchyroll, and there was, like, the comments are full of, like, don't read the comments if you haven't watched the show before. So I, I knew something was happening, and, like, they had the sort of, like, mental collapse thing going on in the background. So it was like, okay, like, something something bad is going to happen, but I didn't realize it was going to be that off the wall. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea that, like, Every protagonist in a harem anime is playing all the girls, and it would be inconceivable in 99.9% of them for, like, one of the girls to be like, fuck this, I'm going to murder him. It's weird mm. that it's a double murder in school days, but I do like the idea that for once the fuck the fuckboy attitudes of mm-hmm. the harem anime protagonist are punished but school days has just has such a reputation now that I don't yeah. I don't think at the very least I have consumed enough like secondary media that I don't think I would get anything out of it. So it's very cool to hear you like when you were watching it, I think you honestly said that you that you liked that he was just like playing all the options and he got the realistic re- realistic outcome yeah. of like having four girls in parallel as romantic interests. Mm-hmm. What would that how would that really happen? And it ends with you getting you getting stabbed by by the craziest yeah, one. Yeah, like it's it's totally believable that a shitty fifteen year old, given his options, is going to do that. And it's kind of refreshing for an anime to admit that and then also have consequences. Yeah. I wonder if it's also like a linchpin to the way that anime treats their protagonists in a way. Like I wonder if that is the sort of show that defines or is one of the defining things where it's like, you can't be fucking about. You've got to have the monogamy. You've got to keep to one track. He didn't believe in the first girl rule. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, he does end up with the first girl, technically. <laughs> <laughs> he ends up with that. <laughs> oh, A, A plus, Jeff. A plus. Oh, that's fucking killed, hell. That's killed Ben. <laughs> <laughs> on a technicality maybe you're, but... us- you're usually the one who makes who, who laughs but you are the one who makes the laughter this <laughs> jeez oh Ooh, i'm seeing stars <laughs> jeff did that twist is that second twist sour for you at all like you see like the way you talk about it at that point you were thinking oh yeah this is kind of an interesting subversion he's getting his just desserts and then she gets her un- unjust desserts. Maybe she just gets killed for the the lols almost. Yeah, like I was saying, like it it was kind of a head fake because they never. It doesn't come out of left field that Sanji 
like snaps on him because it's always kind of hinted at that she has like had a hard time of it coming up. This is the first time that she's really had this kind of relationship. One of the other girls who he also, of course, bangs basically says like, I'm leaving the country and I can't feel comfortable leaving unless I know that she's in good hands. And he's, he's very demonstrative. She's very demonstrably not doing that, but still leaves the country. But the whole focus of the show is Kotonoha in the background, sort of quietly losing her mind after she gets broken up with. And so you think like, oh, you know, whatever wild thing is going to happen is going to be her. And eventually it is, you know, that is paid off. But them building up Sanji as the one who kills him. And she, and you know, she thinks she's pregnant. She confronts him. He says, go away. I'm too young for this. I don't want to deal with this. I'm going back to the first girl that I like, who's like a mind I destroyed by breaking up to be with you. And she just like has had enough. And again, like, you know, they do enough to justify it in her character. It doesn't come out of nowhere, but then I guess they just felt like they had to also pay off the other thing because why not? Eh. Did you ultimately find it not satisfying or do you, do you think that there's, well, I mean, I didn't find it satisfying cause I didn't, I think you could have a good show that just ends with them being in a shitty place instead of it escalating to the point of like multiple homicide. <laughs> like you could just have like a normal show where like the guy sort of ends up isolated and miserable because he treated everybody around him like shit. And, the other two characters have to like sort of move on with their lives. You know, it didn't have to end with like multiple homicide. I'm, I'm racking my brain for an anime, a romance anime, a harem anime where the protagonist ends up alone and I'm, I'm failing largely. I mean, I guess technically it, technically it happens in Ori Emo because he's dating his sister until they graduate and they can't date anymore because that's their like weird thing. <laughs> Elfin light. Cause like that's definitely has hair in mass fix, but it's a horror. And he, he very yeah, much... I was going to say, Duncan, that you, you picked a pretty fucked up anime. To, I mean, to, to, that, that's because what we're going... That seems to be the way we are at the moment, so... <laughs> that definitely has harem aspects to it, though. Like, it, it's a... It's which cute demon girl are you going to pick? And they're all bad choices. Duncan, should I watch Elfenlied? I've never... No, I, I'm very aware no, of... Okay, no, um, I've never watched Elfenlied. I like I liked the director. I like the director. He made uh, he made Sora no Oto. It, it doesn't hold up. It, it doesn't... The bits of animation you thought, oh, that, that, that was quite good animation at the time, just don't hold up at all. It's just shock value and some okay character design, mm. sadly. I mean, his latest thing that he did was The Promised Neverland, which is also kind of... <laughs> Starts good, ends bad. Yeah, I would say. Bad. But I guess the, he did the perfect insider too. He's been in a lot of stuff. I shouldn't, I shouldn't stereotype him. <laughs> I mean, the perfect insider was also the same. It started off good and then ended bad. Really good and blew out. Oh, well. Okay, maybe I should stereotype him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would say it's solid 8 out of 10. <laughs> and now you're watching Turn A Gundam, which is going to be like, like let's just have a Turn A Gundam chat every podcast from now on. Because <laughs> apparently the writer of um, the the script writer of uh, Elfin Lade, uh, it's like the most recent thing we, we'd recognize him from is um, Horimiya. So <laughs> at least some, at least the adapter. <laughs> like so that's like, coming full circle. Actually, Duncan. Actually, what the most recent thing we'd recognize him from is Aharon San Wahar. 
Akaranai, so... Ah, a yeah. A, a Haran, the, yeah, the guy who wrote, the guy who wrote Elfin Lied wrote Horimiya and Aharansen. Aharansen's, uh, I mean, I'm not getting, I, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it's pretty good, More actually. and more every episode. And your line, and your line, April, and your line, April. Yeah. And no matter how I look at you, look at it, your guy's fault I'm not popular. Yeah. Script adaptation. And working. Is a, is a big, it's a big different thing. So, yeah. Well, yeah, no, that's, that, that's the thing I always fall into with this podcast. Let's, let's real talk listeners. Like, <laughs> the script, the screenwriter of an anime often doesn't matter that much. Like, scenario writing is important, but it's not like a make or break thing for anime. Yeah. Um, so, like, seeing like, oh, this screenwriter who did the adaptation for this and also the adaptation for this... It doesn't mean as much, and I try not to have it in my head, but also I just like connecting names to other names. <laughs> so that is also... Yeah, but sometimes it is interesting because, like, whilst it is dependent just on the show, like, I mean, take Spy Game, for example, that was this season. The episode where they have, like, that massive... Spy Family? Spy Family, sorry, not Spy Game. That's a different anime. They, the latest episode where it's just, like them in a theme park ride and Lloyd has to save Anya, mm-hmm. which we all adored. Mm-hmm. The back end of that, that's all filler. None of that exists in the manga. Mm. So someone had to scenario write that in and saw that scene in the manga, which is only about two pages. It does happen, but it's only about two pages. It doesn't go through the fame like game and fight. But someone must have read that and thought, we can expand on this and this would be really funny. Mm. And it was. And it was one of the best things that has happened in Spy Game so far. And it's completely original. I will have to say, like, I looked up... Kazuhiro Furuhashi is the director of Spy Family and also the scenario writer of Spy Family. Mm -hmm. And his career is, like, before that, Dororo, before that, Neo Yokio. He did uh, Chevalier Dayon. He did Zipang. He's like done a lot of like wild fucking shit. I would say <laughs> for his career, yeah. <laughs> he was Trust and Betrayal. Rurouni Kenshin, Trust and Betrayal. Wow. That's him. He's now doing Spy Family. So good for him. Good for him. Spy Family is the best thing this season, as we all mm, can attest. No, mm, I kind of like Komei slash Kongming better, but I think I'm also like set up as a historian by trade to yeah, that, appreciate that fits. Cool general becomes music manager is like my jam. I would watch like 50 shows like that. I have to admit. <laughs> okay, let's call it there. Uh, next episode, listen to us talking about directors cashing in when anime auteurs work on blatantly commercial shows. Gonna have to do some research for this one. Oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy. But in the meantime, rate, review, and subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice. Find us on Twitter at KeyframesPod. Find us on Facebook. Search for Keyframes Podcast. Email us questions. KeyframesPodcast at gmail.com. Give us ideas for new episodes to do because we're scraping the bottom of the barrel with some of these. Personally, I feel. No, No shade. And most of all, Tell a friend. But not just any friend, Ben. If I were you, I'd tell the person you'd describe as a tier one pussy getter. <laughs> that, was, that was immediately entered in the new episode title. <laughs> <laughs> I, I privately wrote that down so I didn't forget it. <laughs> I, 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 I worked workshopped a little bit to top tier pussy getter, but yes, tier one pussy getter. A plus, Jeff. Good job. <laughs> A1 number one. (laughs) Okay, say goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Let's go out and get some pussy. (laughs) Oh, dear.